This is the Mess It Up Podcast, where we take your mess and turn it into a message. And now, here's the Bowtie Guy. Hey guys, welcome to the Mess It Up Podcast. I am your host, the Bowtie Guy. We are here once again doing a show. We got a call in all the way from beautiful Texas, uh, right in the middle of America. Um, so we're not coast to coast, but we're coast to middle of the Americas today. Uh, so we hope you enjoy the guests that we've got going on. Uh, I want to remind you that if you want to get a hold of the show, you can call us at 760-608-1942. Uh, if you want to email me, it's bowtieguy at messituppodcast.com. Uh, you can also uh, become a financial donor of the show and support us uh, by texting the word MUM to 760-WALLS-CA. That gets us into the walls of the prisons in California. That number, if you like numbers better, is 925-5722, and it'll walk you through all of the uh, text-to-give stuff. Uh, but right now, without any further ado, oh, no, there is a little bit of further ado. Uh, I want to give you our word of the week. I completely forgot about the word of the week. Uh, word of the week this week. Uh, give yourself 10 bonus points every time you use this in your sentences. But the word of the week is segue. And hopefully I'll make a nice segue into our guest. But a segue is to move without interruption uh, from one thing to another. They use it a lot in music or in movies um, uh, and, and writing and stuff like that. But our segue right now is us moving on to our guest, which is uh, Jason Lambert from uh, Men of Nehemiah in Texas. And Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, you betcha. Um, I ran into Jason. Uh, I was when I was moving uh, my friend Pastor Dan out to uh, Texas. Um, we heard that there was going to be a free concert in a park uh, that was about thirty miles away from where he was moving. And I was like, "Free concert, Seventh Day Slumber." Sounds good. Let's go. Checked it out, and lo and behold, it was uh, put on by group that Jason is with, and we'll talk about that more later, but I uh, I got a hold of Jason. I said, I need to have you on the show, hear your story, and let the people hear your story. So, Jason, uh, thanks for doing this, and uh, tell us your mess. Well, I'll start off by saying that I was born in Long Beach, California. What? And, oh, my goodness. Uh, that's close to where we're... That's where I, that's where I took off uh, when I, when I uh, uh, flew to Texas. Right. So um, that's kind of my hometown. Um, I had good good parents. Uh, my mom was kind of a hippie, and my dad was kind of a biker, but they were really stable, uh, decent people, and they still are to this day. Um, so, I, you know, I, I spent my early years in Long Beach, but by the time I was about five years old, we had moved to Lancaster, California, Oh my Which gosh! A little bit closer to me. Desert there, Antelope Valley, and <laughs> from then on, you know, I had a really good childhood. We had all that desert out there, and uh, we rode BMX, and uh, I had a lot of friends. And so, you Jason, know, it was. Do you know where Ridgecrest is? No. Okay. I don't remember. About, we're about ninety miles north of of Lancaster, uh, going toward uh, okay. Manhattan. Up uh, up to fourteen, where three ninety five and fourteen meet. That's where I am. Okay, yeah, and I did kind of check out the location of your uh, ministry on Google, so I did notice it was in that area. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and that was a, a neat place to grow up. And, you know, it was pretty good. 
But at the age of, uh, oh, I guess I was about 10 or 11, um, I, you know, I didn't really realize it at the time. I thought my parents were normal, but the thing is that they, they really were never truly in love and, um, they needed to separate. Mm. And my mom kind of explained that to me and I was, I was good with it, you know, uh, I don't think I had a lot of trauma from that. I think I understood, and it was it was probably beneficial to both of them. But it did kind of affect my life because my mother and I moved to, back to Long Beach, and um, things changed there. Uh, you know, being raised in the church and being a pretty... I guess a good boy, you know, I wasn't really fitting in with the guys on the street. And um, I didn't really understand why, so I really started to put out an effort to fit in, and I got into some really rebellious music, and I had made a decision that I was just going to go ahead and kind of be a tough guy. And uh, when I started doing that, uh, you know, I smoked my first joint at about 12 years old, and that just changed my whole world. Everything, that just remedied all my problems. You know, I felt connected. I felt like I, I fit in. I, I felt like, uh, man, this is what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, I did. I pursued that. Um, I, my, you know, I, I went to school and did the things I did and did activities, but that was all a side project. The real project for me was to get loaded again. Yeah. And um, that was the story of my life, you know. I, I did continue to go to school. I graduated. Uh, I didn't stay in Long Beach. Uh, eventually, I got expelled from school there for uh, smoking weed at school. And by that time, my father had moved back out to his homeland, which was here in Abilene, Texas, because he's an Abilene native. So uh, from there, you know, my mother said, you're going to live with your father in Texas. And that's what I did. And, uh, you know, being at, I was at a little hick school in a little place called Eula that's about 25 miles from Abilene. <laughs> and uh, it was still my mission to just continue to get loaded. I had a hard time with it, but eventually I got a car, and I was able to drive around and connect with all the people who smoked weed and drank. And, you know, that was really my main mission in life. Uh, but I, still in doing that, I graduated high school. I found out that I, when I was using, I was able to focus on my schoolwork more and keep my grades up somehow, which was how strange. Yeah. But by that time, I had met a really spiritual guy. Uh, we called him Brother Clark. And he kind of showed me about the love of Christ, because by then I was rebelling against the church totally. Mm -hmm. But uh, the thing is, uh, he was kind of an occultish guy, but uh, he was very spiritual, and we used a lot of marijuana together. So, uh, 
that kind of introduced me to the idea that I could still continue to mix this stuff. And I did a lot of that. And then I went into uh, the Army right after high school. I did three years in the Army. And that's when I started drinking. Uh, I, I got drunk every night pretty much. I was winding up in trouble with alcohol through the whole thing. Um, even in basic training and AIT, I was I was getting tro- in trouble for drinking on duty and stuff like that. But most of the time, that stuff was just swept under the rug, you know. And um, I made a few attempts to stop drinking, but that didn't last very long. So uh, I got back stateside and. Uh, I found employment quickly, uh, government work for the Abilene State Supported Living Center, and I continued to just get drunk every night and work that job for 25 years. Uh, and, you know, I lived, I was very much used to living two different lives, the professional life and then my my private life was all about finding oblivion and it was through it was through drinking mostly i also developed an ambient addiction uh my thing was crushing and snorting ambient and drinking alcohol every night and i was all about just trying to shut everything down um and, you know, there were a lot of times when I would get into trouble with the law or wreck a car or something like that, but I would clean it up and continue. But uh, eventually what had happened is uh, my health began to fail. Uh, I thought that maybe I was I had a really bad cold or something or the flu, but I was beginning to swell up my Skin was, people were telling me I was yellow, man, and uh, there was no way I could, I could stop drinking. Uh, you know, I had to drink. But eventually I wound up going to the doctor, and she did some blood work, because I thought I was sick, and I was sick. Uh, but the next thing I knew, I woke up in the hospital with a catheter and tubes in me, and all of that. So what had happened is uh, my doctor tried to call me at home to get me to come in there because my internal organs were shutting down. But I didn't answer. I couldn't answer the phone. So she sent an ambulance, and they came in the house and got me and took me to the ER, and I was nearly dead. So that was the point where I really first decided to take recovery seriously and uh i was so sick i was in the hospital for over two months Mm. um i had a lot of hallucinations and a lot i mean i couldn't walk i had to learn to walk again it was it was a really big ordeal and uh when they released me i had to go live with my father because i was in such bad shape uh, luckily, I had worked for the state for so long, I had over a year of sick leave, so um, that wasn't a problem. I still had my job. 
you know, like I said, I was learning to walk again, and I was all full of fluid. The first time I went to have a procedure done to remove fluid from my body, they removed 11 and a half liters, where my body just wasn't processing anything. Yeah. And, and very that, painful. Uh, mostly just liver failure? Yeah, liver and kidney failure. Okay. Yeah. So I continued to stay with my father and his wife, <clears throat> and he was struggling because I know that, you know, he has a drinking habit as well, and he was trying to to not drink because of what was happening with me. And so I got to see what he was going through trying to not drink. You know, it was it was making him cranky, and his personality was changing. And I recognized, you know, he's got some of the same tendencies I do as far as really being dependent on alcohol, you know. Well, not as severe as me, but still. That's why, you know, I really believe that there's a genetic component to this for sure. Um, I'll come from a, a family. Many of us are alcoholics in my family. But anyway, the turning point was when I was healing in my father's house, and I wound up in his tool shed somehow looking for something. And I found a, I saw a bottle of booze in there. It was a bottle of Kahlua, and it was full. And before I made a conscious decision, to take a drink out of it or not take a drink out of it, I had that bottle turned up and it poured the entire thing down my throat. Mm. And when that happened, I realized I did not make a conscious decision to do that. It was a like an instinct. It was a muscle movement, instinctual thing. And uh, I realized it was probably time to start checking out Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's what I did. With your yeah. with your your medical condition there, um, did at, when you stopped the drinking, did uh, your body start to heal itself and, and recover? Was there permanent damage there? Or, uh, what was going on <laughs> medically with you at that point? Were you still like um, under doctor? At that point, yeah, I was still in in kind of rough shape. I was recovering. I was taking medicine for my liver. Um, and seeing a doctor regularly on all that, I was starting to recover. But I was still in pretty bad shape because I remember at that time I couldn't get comfortable anywhere. I couldn't sleep. And uh, a lot of times I would wind up putting pillows on the floor and laying on the pillows. I don't know why. I just couldn't get comfortable and uh, I remember that night, I think I was trying to sleep out in the backyard because I was so uncomfortable. Mm. And I may have been laying on a hammock or a cot or something. And, uh, you know, being that sick and, I, you know, at that point, I knew I would never drink again because I was so sick. But when I saw that bottle, I did. And that's when I realized, man, this is way bigger than me. Yeah. I think I had heard something about being powerless, and now I knew what that was. <laughs> yeah. How did that bottle hit you uh, physically? I mean, was it, did did your liver, you know, 
call timeout and, and go back on strike or? No, uh, you know, it didn't. Uh, I instantly got that uh, sense of ease and comfort when I, when I drank that, and that, that really bothered me because yeah. I was right back to square one, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I think I actually laid there and enjoyed enjoyed the buzz for a while, you know, and then I, man, just really hit me like, wow, how am I back here? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 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 Well, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push pause in your story right there because uh, I know that when we go through these kinds of things, uh, we're needing some Jesus. Um, and uh, our song of the week this week is a song uh, by David Leonard uh, called Every Hour. Um, and so we're going to give the people about 90 seconds of this. We'll be back on the other side to uh, rejoin Jason's story and, uh, and turn this mess into a message. So right now, uh, we're going to give you about 90 seconds of David Lambert, or I'm sorry, David Leonard <laughs> with Josh Gavin <laughs> and a song called Every Hour. All right, there you go, guys. David Leonard with uh, Every Hour. And the thing I, I really like about this song is, is in that course, every hour of every day, I need you, Lord, and that will never change. And, uh, man, that, that could not be more true in my life because uh, as soon as I think I've got it figured out, life will come along and remind me that I don't. So uh, that's why I like to stay weak uh, because when I get strong, I start to feel like I can do stuff. And the reality is, I can't. So, Jason, uh, when we left you, you were uh, realizing that maybe uh, some AA, uh, some recovery might be a good idea in your life. How did you start your recovery journey? Well, I attended uh, a few AA meetings, and I kind of caught wind in there. got people talking about, you know, getting a sponsor and working the steps. And um, so I really dove into their literature and um, saw where, like, a lot of it was biblical, um, especially the 12-step model. 
And um, so as I worked the steps, uh, I saw step three, surrendering uh, my will and my life over to the power of God as I understood him very seriously. And uh, I knew I needed a better, stronger relationship with God. And um, when that, the words of my own understanding hit me hard, so I began to just ask God to, like, uh, in my free time, I said, or whatever I was doing, I would say, God, would you please join me while I, you know, go for this bike ride? Would you please walk with me today at work? Would you spend time with me? And I did that a lot, and I felt a little bit uncomfortable about it because I didn't know if, if that was okay, but I kept doing that anyway. And, uh, you know, I could remember, uh, I can remember the time I was riding my bicycle around a local college here at night, just getting some exercise. And I was really, uh, praying and meditating and, uh, something came over me. The spirit came over me and I dropped my bicycle and I walked up this little hill and I just got on my knees in front of this little sapling that was growing there on top of the hill. And uh, I gave my life fully to the Lord unreserved, you know. And um, the Spirit really came over me. And I was really uh, excited about that. And um, I realized that that God was going to be in control of my life now, and I didn't know what that was going to look like. And that's about all I knew. But I had, you know, such a spiritual charge, and I just wanted to go out into the world and, and do good, and I was excited. And, uh, you know, everyone I saw, I tried to be helpful. But, you know, what happened is I saw what I perceived as Christians not really acting like Christians at all. I remember an incident where uh, some people were crossing a crosswalk near a church to get to an event at the school, and a pickup came up on this crosswalk, slammed on its brakes, laid into the horn, and then scared the people. And when people got out of the way, he peeled out, and he drove right up into a church parking lot. And that made me mad because I realized Man, this is supposed to be a Christian, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In my insanity of trying to be the morality police, which I know now, I, I know now not to do that. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But you know, I ran after that guy, and uh, I really wanted to give him a verbal thrashing. I guess he saw me running after him, and he he went into the church, and uh, when I got to the door, it was locked. This was on a Sunday morning, so. Uh, and then um, a police car rolled by, and they, they looked like they were going to roll up on me, and I was just mad. And, uh, you know, I hadn't worked all the steps. I hadn't read all the literature. And, uh, you know, things like that continued to affect me. The uh, uh, people not not living up to my idea of what is good. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Eventually, I wasn't happy with the way my dad was handling some things with me, and I took it to heart, and I wound up relapsing over it. But if I had only worked all the steps and understood 
that the people of this world are perhaps that I was spiritually sick, and uh, perhaps other people in the world are spiritually sick the same way I am or have been, mm-hmm. and I should be compassionate and caring. And uh, you know, through inventory, uh, I learned to look at, I learned to an, uh, self-analyze my feelings. Um, you know, and my first, and I do this on a daily basis. Um, I do. I look at causes and effects. I look at the perpetrator, the person, institution, or principle which is offending me, and then in the second column, I look at the cause, what they did. Well, I've got the person, what they did, and then I look at what's affected. I look at um, what's affected here. Why am I, you know, I can start having a feeling, and really the first thing I can start asking myself is what is what's affected here? Is it my self-esteem? Is it my pride? Is my security affected or threatened? Uh, is it is it my personal or sex relations? Is is this affecting my pocketbook? Possibly is that is that what's threatened or interfered with? What's interfered with here that I have this feeling? And then um, when I analyze that, I go, well, don't don't you trust in God? Don't you, you know, self reliance has followed you. You're depending on God now. So why are you worried about this? And then I look, I, you know, I have another column. I look at the effects call or the uh, not effects. My part in this, because every situation in life, I have a role in it. Yeah. And uh, so I look at, like, uh, what am, how am I not handling this right? Even, you know, am I really a victim? And, you know, very, very rarely in life am I ever a victim. Yeah, I love and, that last column. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the last column really gets gets me out of the victim seat, and when people are misbehaving, I'm, I have I have to have compassion for them, and I have to realize they don't they may not know how to analyze their feelings the way I'm doing right now and taking it to throw right now in the moment, and that's step ten. Continue to take personal inventory when we were wrong, promptly admitted it, and that gets me out of the victim seat and it breaks the chains, and uh, I'm not in bondage to that stuff anymore yeah. and uh yeah you know yeah. I, I, look on, I look on on friday nights at how many people are in my meeting and how many people are not in my meeting and that lets me know you know most of the people i'm bumping into and maybe they're grinding my gears in some way they're not operating with the same set of understanding that i'm operating with so i can't hold them to that standard and, and, and hold them accountable for that information because they just don't have that information. They're not living a recovery lifestyle because if they were, I'd be seeing them on my Friday night meeting. So I have to understand, yeah, even though I get this, they might not. Right. Right. Yeah, and that's what I had to learn. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, and you know, the way I learned that is because uh as I was going through recovery and I'm looking at step 12, I realized, man, I really want to help other people recover. Well, I mean, I'm thinking of this in sense of, uh, you know, addiction, but this works for everything. Uh, uh, and, and it helps me to uh, have patience and pity for other people the same way I would a sick friend. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, if they're struggling with these things, I can help them work through this inventory as well and get them free. And I've done that with a few guys so far, so I realize that that, that works. And that's that's kind of... That's kind of some of the stuff I do here at the Men of Nehemiah. Yeah. How did you get involved with uh, Men of Nehemiah? So, uh, wow. So while I was attending all these AA meetings uh, several years ago, I was giving a lot of people rides and sponsoring some people, and I wound up transporting this girl, and her and I wound up in a relationship where we wound up using together. And I I had to resign from my job with the state after 25 years of getting wrapped up in this, uh, you know, using drugs. And then kind of catching on to it, and they gave me the option to resign, and I did. Uh and then from there on, it was kind of a downward spiral. I would I would get another job, get in a relationship, and uh, I kept relapsing and losing everything. That happened like three times. And the final, the grand finale, I had just got a good job in home health care. I had just bought a brand new car, and my girlfriend was ticking me off about... I'm a very faithful man in a relationship, and she had a thing about thinking I was cheating on her all the time. And I, I drank over that, wrecked the car, just lost that job, lost the vehicle, went to jail, uh, DWI, and I didn't have a way to get out of jail. I, I stayed and did the time, and when I, you know, when I got out, I really, I had no income, nowhere to go. Uh, and I was staying in a halfway house, and uh, my brother had met Colonel Lee, Lee Morris, the director of Men in Nehemiah, and they told me about what he was starting up. He was just starting this up back then. I think this was back in 2019. So... Uh, I packed what I had and went to stay with him. He was in a farmhouse uh, out on the outskirts of town, a place called Old Anson Road. And uh, I stayed there kind of, I really liked what was going on. Uh, But after about six months that first time, I got a large settlement check and I left. And I relapsed again, and then I uh, I came back, and uh, I did six months there again, and I just got fed up with a bunch of stuff and left. And that time I stayed out for a year, and um, I stayed sober a lot of it, and I really I really worked the steps and did a lot of internal examination and praying and I was in solitude a lot and I did have some slips but after thoroughly working the steps and uh, doing a lot of research 
on recovery, I felt it was time to come back because I broke my shoulder, relapsed again, and I was in a world of pain. And this time it really stuck. I completed the program. Um, I got right with Jesus. For sure, I got right internally uh, this time. Um, my, I don't know, my relationship with God is where uh, I just have full faith and I, I don't I don't feel today like I'm, I'm self-reliant. I rely on him. He does for me what I can't do for myself. I just try to do my part, stay in position. And uh, the most important thing is not pick up or use, you know, for me. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, staying spiritually tuned, prayer and meditation, uh, worship, uh, helping other people recover, whether it be through Jesus or working the steps or both, hopefully, you know, all of that. I think uh, now living in step 10, 11, and 12, and um, I'm still working on my amends. So, uh, and I think that amends is probably a lifelong thing for me. Mm -hmm. um, direct amends and a living amends. So, uh, staying in that that place and staying yeah. with the ministry. It's it's. I don't want to say it's easy to get through. You know those those steps, but you know I see so many times people that will get through those steps and then, you know, I, I see them have everything figured out and they disappear. And for me, uh, staying, staying active and working, you know, those last three steps, those, you know, maintenance steps, that's what keeps yeah. you healthy. It's easy enough to buy a car, but if you don't maintain it, the car won't, won't last. You know, you've got to put gas in it, you got to put oil in it and, and doing, you know, working the steps every day and, and keep it in front of my face, that's what works for me. And, and, and I always tell my guys, especially, you know, we do a lot of prison ministry and tell my guys when you get out, if, if you get it figured out and you're back on the streets going back to the same old stuff, you're going to be back in prison and, and, and seeing me again. But all you got to do is, you know, get yourself to a meeting and, and keep yourself active and spend, you know, a couple hours a week is all it takes and you don't have to go back to jail. You don't have to go back to prison. And, and all you're doing is giving up, you know, a few hours of your week. It's not, to me, it's a great trade-off, you know. Uh, I feel much better. And and I'm 20 years in now. And um, it, it's been totally worth it to me just to give that time back to Jesus so that I don't have to give that time back to the state. Yeah. Yeah, and I like I don't know I don't know if I should like give advice, but I think the maybe the best way to look at it is be an agent of God, be be a minister. You know, even if you're just starting out, remember everything that you learned is for a purpose, so that you could help somebody else. Mm -hmm. And uh, don't regret the past. I mean, every experience you've been through can serve a purpose to help somebody else is going through that same dilemma, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, everything we go through isn't good, but everything we go through, God will use for good. Yeah, yeah.
So how much clean time do you have now, Jason? Uh, 14 months and something, I think. I've got an app here on my phone that tells me. <laughs> but, you know, I just, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll start thinking about it more when I'm rolling up on 18 months, which I hadn't even looked at all that. I, I just, I mean, clean time is important, but... I'm not the guy that knows how many days and hours, and some people do. <laughs> I, know, I know people who do that. I can tell you my date because it was an easy one to remember because it was it was the first Friday of the year of 2003. Um, yeah. But off the top of my head, I can't remember it, but I can go back and look at a calendar, and I can know, okay, that was my clean date. Um, but only, my date is May 23rd <laughs> of what? Uh, yeah, a year ago. Yeah, over a year only, ago. The only coin that I carry um, is is my my one day because I always remember, you know, I'm 20 years in, but I can fall, but I can get back up and get that one day uh, coin again and and know that all right, I'm I'm rolling again. Um, I don't have to quit. Falling down is is a mistake, but it's not a failure. Staying down is the failure. So. There's there's no real good reason for me to fail. Well, I feel like a success in watching my sponsors. Yes, yes. And, um, and I, do you do your your family? Does they do they see what's going on with you? Are they um, have you get any feedback from them about the work that you've put in? Well, yeah, my dad's. Uh, you know, all this got different when my dad got connected with the ministry. Um, this third time I came back, he was coming to some of the events and saying, man, those guys are asking about you. And I'm like, really? He says, yeah. Um, everybody keeps asking, where's Big Jason? And um, that's and I, I started going to some of the events. And uh, I was like, wow, I was making a difference here. I didn't even know that, you know, so that's what I kind of just, I wanted to come back full steam ahead and um, realize I could help others, you know. That's, yeah. what, that's what this has to be about. Uh, for, and that's, I think that's universal for addicts. We have to, uh, well, everyone, Christians, everyone, yeah. Yeah, that's what the word says, you know, it is about serving others. Yep. Whatever capacity, you know. Yep, and and I believe that you're either in recovery or you're in denial because we've all got an issue of some sort. It might not be drugs, it might not be alcohol, might not be gambling right. or whatever, but you've got an issue. And, um, yeah. uh, you know, if, if people could figure out how to apply the steps to their life and not be afraid, um, it's, you know, I, to me, recovery is not what I have to give up, but it's what I get to get, you know, it's, I gained so much by giving up so little. Um, right. It's it's uh, it's pretty awesome, and and I could see you know when I was there uh, in Texas and saw you guys, you know that's a brotherhood. Um, you know you guys yeah. are, are are definitely family, and uh, and it, it it's so much easier to survive with other people than it is to survive on your own. Um, right. There's, there's oh yeah. Strength in the numbers. And holding each other accountable, and and people that understand what you're going through, because that was one of my biggest things. Is I didn't think anybody got it. You know, I was like, well, I'm the only person who's ever gone through this. 
And then I, yeah. I go into a room full of people and find like, oh my gosh, I'm not. <laughs> well, that, that's and that's why. Yeah. And that's why I think my story is not that interesting, you know, because um, because they're it's, they're all so much alike, especially when we sit and talk about all the uh, uh, the the thought processes and the stuff that goes on in the mind of an addict or alcoholic, and it's all you know. I used to think it was all so bizarre, and now it's just so common. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you hear enough. Uh, uh, fifth steps, and you realize, man, we're all one and the same, pretty much here. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But if people like us start telling that yeah. that story that we think is not so interesting. Then yeah. Doesn't get to hear and doesn't get to realize. Yeah. I'm not the only one. You 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 lit yeah. some light bulbs today. I guarantee it. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee it. Well, thank you for doing this, Jason. Uh, I really appreciate it. And um, uh, Men of Nehemiah, you guys are operating out of where? Babylon, Texas. And if yep. people want to get a hold of it, uh, the website Ooh. is uh, it's, it's menofnehemiah.org. And Nehemiah is N-E-H-E-M-I-A-H. And if you're not familiar with Nehemiah, uh, he rebuilt the walls of... Um, of Jerusalem after the, uh, the uh, diaspora, and they came back and got them done. Uh, it, it's fun. I always love it when I see people named Nehemiah because that's our project with our building uh, to rebuild our building. It's the Nehemiah project because we're going to rebuild our walls uh, as well. So uh, thanks for doing the work you're doing and uh, and and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Uh, for you listeners. Um, if you're in the Abilene area, check out Men of Nehemiah. They're doing good work. Um, and if you need to have some sort of recovery in your life, find a meeting in your area, whether it's Celebrate Recovery or AA or NA or whatever A, um, go there. And, and if, if it's not you know, a bunch of church people, that's okay. You don't have to be around church people to believe in Jesus. Um, you can bring Jesus to them. They don't have to bring the Jesus to you. And, uh, you know, you work the steps, the steps will work. And Jason is living proof of that. Um, if you want to get a hold of the show, don't forget you can email us at bowtieguyatmessitupodcast.com or you can call or text me at 760-608-1942. Uh, the text to give number, again, is uh, 760-WALLS-CA. That's 925-5722 if you want to be a financial supporter. Don't forget to uh, rate and like the show. Um, give us a, a rating and a review on your uh, podcast app, and that helps out the show as well. But, uh, Jason, have a blessed rest of your day. Thanks for being here. Yes, and, sir. Thank uh, you. You betcha. We'll see you guys the next time we mess it up. Thanks for checking out the Mess It Up podcast. If you've got any questions or feedback, please email info at messituppodcast.com. Don't forget to share with your friends, and we'll see you next time we mess it up. Mess it up.